you're listening to episode number 52 of Does Not Compute on the Spec Network. If you enjoy Does Not Compute, make sure to check out the other awesome Spec shows. Spec has shows that cover pretty much everything you need to know to become a better developer or designer. Check out Orthogonal to learn more from Brett Kelly and Andrew Carroll about business, finances, and freelance. Or give Immutable a listen, where Sam Sophus and Bryn Jackson dispense rapid-fire wisdom about design and dev. You can check out all the shows by visiting spec.fm. Feels good to be back at home, Paul. Yeah, you were just on a uh, another adventure, driving around and camping. A staff trip. Um, yeah, staff trip, California, X, Oregon, as it says on the Oregon. If you're from Oregon, you know, I call it Oregon. Um, but yeah, as it says on the staff trip, California, X, Oregon, staff trip, RV, uh, camping trip, 2016. I was pretty jealous of those shirts. Those are some handsome shirts. They look pretty cool. ZK did a great job. Friend of the show, Zach Kelly. Also my music soul partner, Zach Kelly. Uh, in fact, if the reader, er, readers and the viewers don't know, Paul once made a, uh, what was it? It was like a dating algorithm, but based off of music. And you used me and Zach Kelly as the uh, match. Yeah, yeah. You you were my example of like a most compatible musical tastes thing. <laughs> it was just for like finding people who had similar interests as you. And I was like, I've never met two people who have such similar taste in music as ZK and Sean Washington. So they seem like the perfect people to base the algorithm off of. I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's like every, I don't know, it's cool because it's fun to have someone to, to met. Like I can always find stuff and send it to him and he's never like, oh, I'm not really into that. He's always kind of pretty interested in whatever I'm sending his way. So yeah, it was pretty cool. It was, it was fun. Um, it was different than the previous staff trips because there were a few days where there was literally no, not even self-service. And the the first few days we stayed in RV parks, they had Wi-Fi. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was there. Um, the last couple of days we were in Lassen uh, Volcanic State Park with no Wi-Fi, no cell service. Um, yeah, so it was it was fun. It was a different feeling, you know, being completely unplugged. I, I really like that, that the whole company is able to just kind of take a week where you guys say to clients, okay, we're not here. We are out in an RV somewhere with no cell service or anything, you cannot reach us. That seems like a probably a fairly nice reset. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, so I, I still did some programming on the trip. I had my MacBook, which is perfect for traveling. And I'm redoing the guitar. <laughs> it's not even a guitar journal anymore. I'm moving forward with the name Exodus. And so I'm redoing that. And uh, Josiah uh, is doing the back end in Elixir just because I kind of want to focus on the front end aspect of it and kind of nail like nail down my spa skills. So yeah, we were working on that, but it was fun the last couple of days when we really started hammering on it. We didn't have any resources to look up docs. <laughs> so our, re- our documentation was a source code, which was actually a great exercise because reading some of uh, Vue's source is almost looking like, it's almost like looking at metaprogramming in Ruby. Uh, it's like super abstracted, which is really cool, you know, to see in JavaScript, but I'm just not used to it. So it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around stuff. But um, on this project, I'm using all like release candidate level uh, libraries. So I'm using Vue 2.0 and I'm using Vue Router 2 and I'm using uh, Vue Resource as well. So I actually needed the docs for that stuff because I've never used it before. So yeah, lots of digging through source code. That's always fun. I've looked through the view one source code a little bit. I haven't dug too much into two, but there is a lot of really cool stuff in there. It takes it takes a minute for it to click a lot of times, but then it's like, oh, wow, that's a super, super clever approach. 
all of his code is like that, man. Looking through view resource, I was looking through that a lot because um, I was reading. I got, I had like a half downloaded page <laughs> that I kept open in my in my browser. I was using, and so I was looking at some of the examples that didn't quite work right because again, I'm using release candidate software together. So I, you know, I had to go through the source code for the different libraries, and yeah, all of them. I mean, obviously, he's writing most of it. They have a group of core contributors, but his coding style is very clean, very easy to read. Uh, but it is very, it's, some of it's really clever too, which I thought was, was interesting, but yeah, it's just like a different style of JavaScript. I'm not used to looking at. So it was kind of cool to, uh, be exposed to that, but also it was kind of cool. I remember we talked a long time ago about an episode that developer T put out where he said, you know, if you run into a problem, don't Google for at least 15 minutes, you know, try to try to solve it using the stack traces and whatever else source code with, with, if within 15 minutes before you Google and, uh, so, I, I mean, I think that's a great exercise anyway, because the more you read other people's source code, you know, the more you grow as a developer. Um, but also it kind of allows you to learn more about uh, debugging and trying to prove an error without just Googling for it first. Yeah, that is such an important skill. And it really is a tough one to learn. So that's kind of funny that you were in that situation for a while where you had no choice. I mean, in some cases, that's actually probably a great way to approach it. Like, actually disable your internet for half a day once a week or something like that just just try it out and there were other things happening too like uh, i'm using esx now going forward and so i was trying to use object.assign and for whatever reason i don't know if i have you know a preset not installed correctly but uh anytime i use object the class object it would just bomb it would throw babble would throw an error like can't you know it doesn't have access to whatever file it needs to to make that happen so i had to get really creative you know and during doing certain things and at first i was like i'm just going to like i wanted to use vuex which is if you're not familiar with it it's like a redux library for view and i wanted to use that but you know i didn't have any internet to download it so what i did was i just kind of rolled my own state management <laughs> and uh yeah so i had to kind of get creative because i couldn't just use object or methods on the object straight up like that uh so yeah it was it was interesting and i ended up having to i forgot to install lodash locally so i had to uh, re-implement a few of those Lodash methods myself as well, which turned out to be a great learning experience. So you mentioned you're using uh, Vue 2 in this project. And I imagine that anybody who has worked with Vue in the past, their first thing they're going to want to know is, how is it not having sync? Uh, I don't really use sync much anyway, so it didn't bother me too much. Uh, you can, so, I mean, so Vue, uh, it advertises a one-way down data binding, but you can kind of get around that, not that you should, uh, because of how JavaScript treats objects. So if you, you know, you copy, if you, if you modify, it's going to be observable and all the other objects that are sharing that are going to update as well. So you can kind of get that, um, functionality if you want to, you know, I, I think the docs advise to not do that just because, it, you know, when you have one way data flow, it's easier to, to manage as things grow. And then I would also say that they advertise using events and in, you know, um, having components communicate with each other as opposed to just having data be reactive all the time. I think we actually talked about that a little bit in a previous episode uh, about how Vue 2 has redone the event system to make it a little bit more friendly and usable since sync has been removed, which I, I think is the right call. Yeah, I can, totally. I'm totally on board with that. So I haven't even used that much in Exodus as I've been building it. I I've just been having, so basically I have the default view app. So you do new view and then I have inside the data, 
um, I have a store object that I'm writing everything to. And then also in methods, um, that's where I'm putting all of my like Ajax requests or that's where like equivalent to like uh, Redux actions would go. So none of my components are actually changing anything and then broadcasting messages. They're just calling a method that's available on the 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 root app instance. So it's kind of similar, I guess you could just broadcast a message and have the root app instance look for it and then and then, you know, do the do the action. But for me it kind of skips a step when I can just call it directly, I suppose. Uh, it's been, it's been working pretty fine and it's been working well enough that I haven't wanted to go back and and uh, rip everything out and implement it in Vuex or something like that. So it feels clean enough, it's performant enough, it works pretty well. That sounds really awesome. I mean, it's it's really cool that you've kind of gone and figured out the least amount of thing that you need in order to make this app. I think that's something that we've always kind of talked about on the show is like, don't use these tools unless you have an actual need for them. And this seems like a, a nice practical application of that. Right. And Vue could definitely, I mean, if, if Exodus was bigger or more complicated, there could definitely be a use case for it. Uh, Vuex is really great at forcing you into just one way of doing things and organizing things a certain way. So that way you can't really be disorganized. Uh, but I haven't needed it yet because I've been able to stay pretty disciplined and it's not a super complicated. It's mainly just like a CRUD based application. There's some relationship items, but again, you know, I can just store those in objects and be fine. For example, um, in this case, you can have multiple journals and each journal can have multiple entries. And what I'm doing is in the store object, I have a current journal and current entry. So whenever you, you know, when you visit one, it stores the currently viewed journal and entry in those objects. So I can kind of keep them cached. And if you change to something else, I just swap that out. Um, but that also helps me cut down on Ajax requests. You know, I don't have to fire two or three Ajax requests on every page load. You know, I'm trying to save as much data as I can to keep the round tripping to a minimum. But yeah, it's it's been it's been pretty pretty simple so far. Just one place, you know. And so what I did was I actually split out those into different files. So all of my global state is in one file, and all of my methods are in another file, the global methods. And then I just pull those in when I boot up the new uh, view instance. So it doesn't feel super cluttered like it could. And that's one thing that Vuex does well is it allows you to separate those into separate places so they're not just one massive file. But yeah, it's been working it's working pretty well. If I feel happy enough about it, maybe I'll write a blog post or something and, and share it. But it's been working great so far. And I'm really enjoying Vue 2 and Vue Router as well. Yeah, you mentioned a couple times over the last week or so how great Vue Router 2 is. What are some of the big changes that you like there? I don't even know if that is big changes. I think it's more just kind of little things, right? Um just so it seems like it's relying less on directives. Uh, and so a directive would be if you're familiar with Vue, if you're actually using Vue Router version one, you would have an actual A element and then you would you would add an attribute like V dash link equals and that would be the path and that could take an object. Um, so instead of using V dash link on an actual HTML element, it's, ju it's just a component. It's a router dash link component that takes a bunch of um, props. It feels cleaner because now I don't have to look at all these attributes all the time or look for attributes all the time. It's an actual component. It's a little easier to visually grok. And also the route setup uh, seems cleaner. So um, if I remember correctly with React Router, you essentially build your routes in kind of like a component tree. And uh, with View Router and View Router 2, you specify an object, right? And in Exodus, there's a case where when you're viewing a journal, I don't want to have, it should be like journal slash journal ID slash entries, right? And instead of having a separate like root level entry component, I'm actually nesting. So the entry pages, like the show page, edit page are actually sub pages of the journal page, if that makes sense. 
it sounds really complicated, but actually it's really easy to set up because with the view routes, you would have a path for a journal and then it has an object or array called children where you just pass children components. And then in your uh, journal page, the, 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 the component that has the sub routes, you would literally just put the router view uh, component there and it renders those pages in that context. So at the end of the day, basically what's happening is you can just have multiple router views and define what gets rendered in each one of them nested correct and you could do that you could do that with view one but with view two it just feels more organized especially with the route definitions um children i I think is a better term than what it used to be i think it i'm trying to remember i think it was like subviews or something like that in version one but it just seems more clear if that makes sense yeah i mean that's something that view and evan in particular has always been really good at is even since before 1.0 is out Every time there was an update, I was just amazed by how much thought went into it. And like it was always just small iterations, little improvements here and there. It's like, here's this thing that doesn't feel great yet. What do we need to do to make it feel great? And that's such a that's such a cool approach to see in this library instead of always rethinking everything. A lot of a lot of small iterations, a lot of steps, a lot of just improving the experience of setting up your routes. Something that usually gets designed in a framework. And then just lives like that for forever. Yeah. I mean, Rails routing, for example, has changed very little over the time I've been using it. There there are additions here and there, but there's just like such a constant refinement in view of the entire ecosystem, which I think is really, really cool. Yeah, it definitely feels like, uh, especially in view routers case, more of a refinement than a big change. Um, there are a couple of other things that I think are really cool about uh, view 2.0 that I could mention. Um, there, I'll put this in the show notes, but there's a link on Medium somewhere. Uh, I think it was maybe Dan, the guy that created Redux originally. He was talking about a pattern he uses with React called uh, presentational components and container components. Uh, and so he usually has one or the other. A presentational component really has no state of its own. It just kind of exists. It shows. It just it basically just reflects data. Essentially, there's not any logic inside of that component itself. And then you have container components, and container components would contain many presentational components. And the container is what's responsible with actually doing any like data processing, any get requests to the server, um, any you know getters, setters, data manipulation, any stuff like that. And then that is responsible for delegating which presentational components actually show up. And one thing that's really cool about Vue 2.0 is he introduces the idea of a functional component. And if you Google like stateless components or functional components, you'll get about a million Medium articles, people talking about it. But what I think is really cool about Vue 2 is that it has this. So you can actually, when you're setting up a component, you can pass functional true and it removes any instance of, of local state or local, like local uh, individuality from the component. So as things are rendering, it doesn't even have to, there's just no computer powering there being taken up. So if you if you're finding yourself needing to make small performance enhancements or even just, you know, make sure that a component is actually stateless, you just pass functional true and it literally does not have a data instance. That's really cool. I don't I don't know if I have a ton to say about it, but that's that is really neat. <laughs> well, it's an example again, it's an example of refinement, right? It's uh it's something that can be useful. It's it's like it is what it is, right? You know, there's not a lot to discuss about it. It's just is a thing that's kind of cool and useful, you know. So that way if you're trying to enforce something like that, like stateless components, you can just you can just define the component with functional true and that's that's it. You can't screw it up. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. It's just just one more thing that kind of helps you sanity check and make sure that you're not doing something wrong. Yeah, exactly. 
and kind of for, like force yourself into these patterns that you already know you want to use, but then you have absolutely have to because you have this flag set. Exactly. Um, and one more thing that I thought was really awesome before, you know, we can move on after this, but uh, I could talk about Vue 2 for a while probably. But anyway, he has uh, with, with Vue now, there is a standalone install and then there's a runtime install. And I thought this was really cool. Again, talking about just like little, little, little things, right? So when you, when you NPM install Vue, he knows that you're probably using something like Babel. You're probably using something like Brunch or Gulp or whatever you're using to compile your templates. Um, and so what happens is you get basically a, uh, you get the view, the view set up basically without the runtime. So what happens is since he can basically pretty much say you're going to be using transpilation, the templates get compiled from strings into render functions. So like under the hood, when you pass view a template string, it gets broken out into a render function. And so he, he we can kind of skip that step. And so Vue doesn't need to ship with that whole layer anymore because when your code is compiled, that's going to happen. So that's partly how Vue 2.0 is, he says like at least four times faster than version one is because we can skip that whole step. And again, it's kind of like a, just a really kind of clever and neat refinement because pretty much, I mean, everyone who's writing JavaScript is transpiling, let's be honest. Uh, so he's like, well, we can just use that to our advantage and make Vue even faster and less complicated. And that's how the, the bundle he says is like 12 kilobytes or something like that, because we're just not using, we're not including code that we don't use anymore. Yep. It's uh, basically JavaScript's headphone jack, I guess. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. But anyway, like I said, um, <laughs> we can talk about something else if you want to because uh, I was stuck in a, well, not stuck. I was in an RV for four days. So I was just reading, <laughs> reading lots of things, lots of console messages. And so anyway, like if you try to, if you try to do something and that runtime's not bundled in, you actually get console errors on saying like, hey, if you want to do this, you, you probably don't need to, but if you want to, you can include, you know, this other uh, distribution and it'll work. Yeah, Vue's always been really good about helpful error messages too. If you're ever running into a weird thing with Vue, if you just pop open your console, it probably is telling you everything you need to know. Most definitely is telling you everything you need to know. Yeah, that's been the case for like 90 plus percent of Vue errors. I'm like, this makes no sense. Why isn't this working? And I just look at the console <laughs> and all, everything that I could ever want, it, links and all, is just right there. It's so cool. Yeah. So... Anyway, what's, uh, what's been going on with you? I've been talking for 20 minutes now and haven't asked you how you're doing. Well, uh, the big thing that I've been working on lately is actually not programming specific or dev specific at all, really. Uh, I've been putting together a uh, event on user experience. I'm actually going to be hosting that. It's going to be at Yelp a couple days after this episode comes out. So we'll make sure to have a link in show notes for anybody who's interested. But it should be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm going to be hosting, like I said, and then it's going to be Spec's very own Bryn Jackson, along with Vicky Tan and Jacob Thornton, who you probably know better on Twitter as Fat. So it's a oh, pretty awesome lineup. I uh, got three super, super smart folks who are going to be helping me sort through all these things and figuring out how we can better be approaching user experience in our companies and in our products. And it should be a lot of fun. It's totally free. So uh, hopefully I'll see some does not compute listeners there that sounds awesome actually i've been really thinking about that lately especially uh it's been a long time since i've been building an app that i'm actually in charge of the ux for or you know in charge of the overall design for and it's it's a big thing it's a whole bunch of big things yeah i mean ux is one of those things where people always talk about ux designers all the time 
People are always, always, always talking about UX designers, but then they leave everybody else out of the equation. And I, I think that's such a mistake because there are aspects of user experience that everybody needs to help with. Developers need to help sanity check designers on this stuff. I think that's a that's an important, a hugely important thing because a lot of times when if you're just building things out, especially if the designers are using just static comps and not prototyping tools, then it's so easy to not think about different kinds of interactions. And, and that's something that devs should always be helping with, always be pushing that forward. Um, and not just in not just in apps, not just in things with pretty user interfaces. This is also huge for everything developers touch. This is, you can have a great user experience for an API. You can have a great user experience for a command line interface. Um, you see a couple of great examples of that. NPM, modern versions of NPM are fantastic at giving you useful information on the command yeah. line and displaying it in a nice way. Uh, Feathers, which we just talked about recently, one of the things I really loved about it is how great their generators are. What a great UX they provide just in that command line thing. So I think just thinking about user experience more holistically and just from a everybody working on the product should be thinking about UX kind of perspective is something that we need to be doing a lot more of. Well, I like how you bring up that UX is more than just kind of UIs and then web that run in a browser. It's pretty much, you know, in any any discipline where you're making something that other people use, there's UX involved in that, you know. Um, and we were just talking about uh, Vue as an example of good developer UX because of the really helpful uh, messages and warnings. And, you know, just he even links to talks like documentation, which is pretty helpful. But I think it's something that, like you said, it kind of gets passed off to this is the designer's role. You know, this is something that there's specifically a designer called UX designer that learns about this, writes about this, that kind of lives and breathes this. But as developers, we, you know, we should have more of a hand in the pot, so to speak, in, you know, just working with designers and saying like, yeah, this this works really great. Like it looks great in a comp, but it doesn't necessarily like work well on the web or the web actually has a control for this natively, you know, so we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. We can instead use what the web provides us, you know, because I feel like a lot of times you get fixated on little details or like UI details, right? Design bits when the operating system that the user might be using already has a problem, you know, solved there or I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just rambling now, but yeah, I think it's a very important thing and I'm really glad you're hosting a panel on that and I'm definitely going to be listening to everything that everyone has to say. Yeah, I think it should be a lot of fun. It's just, I really want to see more people take some responsibility for user experience and not just have it be a black box where you say, hey, make this thing work and then you just implement the thing directly. I want to see people prototyping stuff more. I want to see people user testing when possible. I want to see people just just thinking about this stuff from as many different angles as they can because it just it does make such a big difference. Even when you're designing something that has no pixel interface, something that is just for developers, it's still so important and it makes a much, much better product. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode of Does Not Compute. If you enjoy the show, please remember to rate or review us in iTunes. It's a massive help and just takes a couple minutes. There's a link in the show notes. There's got to be something we can do about pizza getting stuck to the roof of your mouth and burning it forever. 
I think that's just a patience thing, right? Yeah. User user education. <laughs> 